I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. In the I Love My Job department, one of the things that I love most about this job is the opportunity to meet with extraordinary individuals who are making a difference in so many ways, big ways, small ways, across the street, around the world. And I just love having those conversations and learning how people think differently, how they approach leadership, how they overcome challenges. Uh, If you missed last Friday, uh, we had just a fascinating interview on this program with Edna Adan Ismael. Uh, She was the first woman foreign minister of Somaliland. She was in Utah over the weekend as part of the doTERRA conference uh, that was held here in downtown Salt Lake City, and they had uh, tag team partnered on uh, making just an extraordinary hospital uh, that doTERRA really drove uh, in Somaliland uh, that is just impacting so many lives over there. But she was in town to talk about that, and she is uh, one of the most amazing people I've ever met, 84 years old. Uh, She has a string of firsts uh, from her life in Somaliland from being educated, being the first nurse midwife, uh, starting a hospital, starting a university uh, to train nurses. Uh, As I mentioned, first foreign minister, she was the first to drive, first woman to drive in Somaliland. Uh, She actually participated in a Grand Prix uh, and probably would have won, but they docked her some points because she was, after all, a woman. Uh, And uh, so there were so many fascinating things that when we got done with our, our radio interview last Friday, I thought, you know what, there is there is just way more to this story that uh, can make a difference for all of us. Uh, and so we reached out to our friends at doTERRA, and uh, fortunately we were able to secure a conversation with Edna Ismael and uh, had a, a long-form conversation with her and dug in just a little deeper uh, to find out some things about her background and her experience. And uh, we're going to share that with you now As uh, she came to Utah, she's been around the world, and she continues to find ways to make a difference uh, for young girls, for women, uh, for health care, and in so many other places. Take a listen. Well, it is a thrill, uh, Edna, to welcome you uh, to Utah and to the United States. And uh, you are one of no small reputation. Uh, You have been called a a Mother Teresa-like figure uh, for Somaliland and for so many other places, uh, representing such important things. Uh, in your own country, uh, educated the first midwife, you've established a hospital. Uh, I like to joke that you were the first woman to drive in Somaliland. Uh, and so it's just an amazing story. And so I want our, our listeners and viewers to just get a sense of your story of Somaliland. Uh, what was that like growing up and what role did education play in your journey? Well, thank you very much, uh, and thank you for welcoming me to your great country yet one more time. 
Uh, of course, as you know, I first came to, to the United States in 1968 as a guest of President Johnson and Lady Bird uh, when my husband was Prime Minister and we were invited to your country on a state visit. That was totally different. And then I came back as a student, I came back as just me, I came back as a diplomat. And uh, growing up in my country, in Somaliland, which was British Somaliland protectorate at right. that time, because there are several Somali countries yeah. in the Horn of Africa. There's French Somaliland, uh, the Republic of Djibouti um, now, right. uh, and then there's British Somaliland and Italian Somalia mm. to our east. Uh, and then there's other Somalis living in different parts in, in Ethiopia and yeah. Kenya, and a big community in Minnesota, of course, yeah, right. and Canada. <laughs> Uh, and British Somaliland was a country that did not have schools for girls. Mm. Only boys went to school. And um, we had books in my house. My father was a doctor. My mother was educated in Aden. Um, and boys in the neighborhood were going to school. So whatever they were learning, I was learning from them. And that's how I was first introduced to that uh, great miracle, that, that great uh, the mystery of the alphabet, yeah. putting letters of the alphabet together to form a word. Mm. Um, so that was the, my beginning, and yeah. uh, it was uh, a challenge because a girl who was t teaching herself to read at the school, that's why I was sent to Djibouti, where yeah. boys and girls could go to school. Yeah. Um, when uh, finished primary education, which is where education ended right. in Djibouti at that time, came back to British Somaliland and became a pupil teacher when mm. the first school for girls was opened in 1953. Wow. So I was a bridge between the, the, the girls, the children who were being educated, mm. and the British teachers who were educating those girls. Um, so I was a pupil teacher uh, going through secondary education yeah. myself. Yeah. And that's where I won a scholarship. Uh, and were sent by the British uh, to Great Britain to complete wow. my, my secondary wow. education. Uh, and you were and the first then, there as well. I was the first girl to win a scholarship. Wow. And it was a great honor and a great challenge because uh, everybody thought that this was going to be a waste of time. And yeah. Dr. Adam was wrong, <laughs> allowing his girl, his um, uh, eldest daughter to go to, you know, abroad yeah. alone at 17, yeah. uh, unchaperoned, and what good would come of it? Yeah. She'll embarrass you and shame you and keep her here. And I'm glad I was sent there. I yeah. love learning. I loved the opportunity to, to be studying with thousands yeah. of young people yeah. uh, around my age. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about uh, that bridge, that, yes. that pupil's teacher yes. uh, role and how important that was to, to those girls at that time? It was very important because uh, not only was I a pupil teacher, I was also a role model. Yeah. So I had to prove to the parents of those girls uh, and to the girls themselves yeah. that uh, coming to school was not going to be such a bad thing after all. Yeah. And it was very important that we did not, none of us would mm. become uh, all the bad things that was expected us to yeah. become mm. because of the education. So mm. you become a role model. You, you yeah. become an example and try to be a positive example. Yeah. Went to England and studied nursing and midwifery, jumped seven years, came back to my country, Somaliland, yeah. as the first trained nurse yeah. midwife yeah. after independence. Wow. 
Uh, and we talked about this, that there's uh, never underestimate the power of an educated woman. Uh, I, I personally have seven sisters, a mother, a wife, three daughters, and two granddaughters. Oh, no, I, the you know, mystery of your greatness. <laughs> great, great. So it, it's been a life of challenges, a, yeah. a life where, um, well, throughout my life, I, I try to also give a position, a place of mm. dignity to the mm. profession of nursing, Yes. Uh, to women working. Yeah. Because when I came back from England in 1961, it took the government 22 months before they would give me a salary. And I refused to quit because I, I didn't need to. Yeah. I didn't need the money. I, I was living with my parents and I had food on the table and shelter to go home to. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to keep that foot on the door, to keep that position open for women. Mm. Uh, position of seniority because if had I been the cleaner there would have been a job. Mm -hmm. uh, had I been the cook, there'd be a scale, a salary scale. Yeah. But a senior qualified nurse and midwife was a totally unknown species yeah. that had never existed before. So held on. Yeah. And then eventually they had to, uh, to sign my contract <laughs> because I worked more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. I had no grade, I had no salary, I had no uniform, I provided that myself. Uh. And I persisted and insisted and 22 yeah. months later, oh, they had to give me that, that title. <laughs> you wore them out. <laughs> I wore them out. I wore them out. That's a good strategy. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, you kept going. You, uh, you weren't content just to, to be in that job and to provide that service. You continued to, to teach, to, teach, to oh, educate. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to drive a car. <laughs> because worse than working as a nurse was the fact that I, um, I would be driving a car and, and you know, the police would go to my father and say, Dr. Adam, we caught your daughter driving your car again. Uh, you should not allow her. And he said, well, why not? She drove me in her car when I visited <laughs> in England. Why not? Um, but she's a girl. Yeah. I said, and you think I don't know my daughter is a girl? <laughs> uh, so, you know, you jump those hurdles and yeah. eventually after six months, they gave me my driving license. Yeah. I still drive. At the age of 84, I still drive my own car in Somaliland. Oh, my goodness. Where many other women drive, yeah. by the way. Yeah. I, I want to check your driver's license because there's no way you're 84. Uh, <laughs> well, my knees agree with you. They think <laughs> my knees think they're 99, yeah. but then we'll forget oh, them. Well, yeah. No, I've been blessed. I'm, I'm blessed. I, I, uh, God has given me good health. Yeah. Has given me opportunities that very few other people have had. Yeah. And that opportunity also linked me up to a great company like doTERRA. Yeah. When an employee of doTERRA came to me, to my office in Somaliland, to my hospital, yeah. and asked me for uh, a very precious item, a textbook. Because mm. textbooks don't come easy yeah. uh, in my country. I said, I, you know, I'm, we're building a hospital where in Sanag, that's all the way east of Somaliland, mm -hmm. the most isolated area of Somaliland, where, there's, where my father worked at one time and I spent some of my childhood there. I said, well, how come you're building a hospital in Sanag, in El Gabo? So he told me the, the story behind yeah. the frankincense and the myrrh, uh, because that's where those, yeah. um, you know, they come from. Right. And uh, he needed a textbook, and that was, you know, a, a great friend who passed away recently, uh, Sheldon, uh, he was training health wor workers to work in the hospital mm. and he needed a guide 
a textbook to guide him through the procedures. And um, giving a textbook to somebody I don't know, uh, and I said, well, you know, I need you to bring it back. And he said, no, no, I promise, I'll bring it back. And he did bring it back. Mm -hmm. And we got to know each other and, and got to know about the good work he was doing for the Terra, yeah. building a hospital, and he would tell me of the progress. And uh, I was grateful yeah. that somebody was building a hospital for the one million people living in the east of Somaliland mm -hmm. who had never had a hospital before, wow. whose hospitals had been destroyed in the war. Mm. And, uh, and then eventually when the hospital was finished, uh, was being opened, um, David Sterling, the, 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 uh, uh, the president of, of yeah. the Terra, uh, invited me to go with him because uh, over the years, you know, while the hospital was being built, I was training some health professionals yeah. for them, providing them with advice. Uh, encouraging them, and if there were things to sort out with governments, I, I'd be there because yeah. uh, having been a first lady helps sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> smooths out a few things and bumps on the road. Right, <laughs> um, and um, so we went because I needed to see that hospital for myself. Yeah, and so we did two days journey by road, very rough, potholes. <laughs> um, two days there and then two days back. And uh, it was an honor to, to see the, 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 the plaque in the hospital yeah. um, honoring my name there. And I said, well, you know, my contribution was so <laughs> minute. But it has become a hospital with, you know, that we can partner. Yeah. And together being in the East and that hospital being in the West, uh, in the East and we're in the West, and a yeah. big chunk of the country in between, uh, we can work together and yeah. we can do a lot together. Yeah. So yes. I'm looking forward to even more collaboration um, that will result yeah. in better health for people, for communities, mm -hmm. better education for our health professionals, yeah. and better partnership between the United States and uh, my country, Somaliland. Yeah, yeah. So good and so important. Because Somaliland is peaceful, we can do that. Yeah. Because Somaliland is stable, we can do that. Mm. And that's what stability brings. That's what peace brings. That's what law and order brings. That's what mm. democracy brings. Mm. And Somaliland comes, you know, offers that. And it's a great partnership. Yeah. And I hope we can, we can do much more than that. Yeah. We can do much more together. Yeah, that's, uh, that's called making a difference and, and leaving a legacy. Absolutely. Uh, and so powerful, and it is important. Those those freedoms and the, the disciplines and the structures uh, that create that stability of yes. peace uh, really create opportunity for everyone to rise. Exactly. And uh, it, it, it's, um, it's also a, a calling that um, and, uh, we have all, I've been given privileges that very few others have had. And if with those privileges of education and, 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 and opportunities with the United Nations and, and you know, being a, having been a very senior diplomat, if I can make a change in the lives of those who have had fewer opportunities that, yeah. than we've had, why not? Yeah. That's what we're here for. That's what makes life worth living. And if, if I did not do that, yeah. then everything that had been 
given to me, opportunities that had been put in my path, would have been wasted. Yeah. I think this is, uh, we, don't, we don't have a choice. Yeah. And I'm glad that our conscience and our mm. creator has guided us in the right direction to be able to do whatever we're doing for those less fortunate. Yeah, inspiring, very inspiring. As you look around the world, obviously there's a lot of focus on Afghanistan and the plight of, of women in Afghanistan. Of course, there's been this 20-year period uh, where women could be educated, could yes. participate in government yes. and business, uh, and now some of that is up in the air. Um, what do you hope for the, for the women and the young girls in a place like Afghanistan? Well, I, well the first thing I would hope for them is peace and safety. And, and I recall my, my UN mission to Afghanistan, Kabul mm. in 1986, when was that? 88, 89? Mm. Uh, we had 19 rockets hit Kabul the day before mm. we were evacuated from Kabul. Wow. So I, I've, I've been there, I know that yeah. country, I, I, I worked there. It was one of the countries that I was, I was working in. Um, I wish them peace, I wish them safety. And I would like those who make decisions for the people of Afghanistan to realize that educating women is not such a bad thing. They contribute to the development of the country. They partner for in community needs. Uh, health needs them. Social mm -hmm. services need them. Uh, they're partners. It's not either men or women. It's us together, men and women. Uh, to work together in, in, in positive areas of health and development and progress. Uh, without that partnership, yeah. progress does not happen. Mm. Progress does not happen. And it's because um, Somaliland is, is progressive yeah. because we now have equal opportunities for both men and women. And in my university, uh, which is only 10 years old, the hospital is 20 years old, and uh -huh. then 10 years later I had a, I had a university. 70% um, of my students are women. Wow. Uh, we have women lawyers, we have women doctors, we have women surgeons, we have women dentists. <laughs> uh, we have, and those contributions that mm. those women were, were making for our people yeah. would not have been possible had they not been given that yeah. education and that grounding and responsibility and, 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 and skills development and whatever they do. Yeah. And I'm proud that Somaliland is able to do that and I'd like others to learn from it. Yeah. Because if Somaliland can do it, we're Muslim, I'm Muslim. A Muslim country yeah. is doing such, there's a lot of room for improvement, yeah. uh, there's definitely <laughs> more room for improvement, but then we've come a long way. Yeah. In 30 years, Somaliland has rebuilt itself, mm. taken out all the landmines that were left by Somalia, mm. rebuilt the institutions that were destroyed during the war with Somalia. Yeah. Universities have sprouted, schools have sprouted, um, professionals have yeah. sprouted, yeah. governments. We've had eight elections. Mm. The president in Somaliland was elected by the people. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people, women have the vote. I, I choose to elect who I choose to vote for. Yeah. Um, that's something to learn from. And if Somaliland, a country that was left for dead, a country that is not even recognized by mm. the rest of the world, yeah. can do that, 
it's a good lesson for the world, and I hope that Afghanistan and wherever um, difficulties are yeah. placed in the paths of of women and education yeah. and development, that they will learn from yeah. it. Wonderful. I want to ask you a leadership question. You've uh, you have had both positions of leadership, and you've had leadership through influence. So you've you've been a diplomat, you've been a a public figure, and you've done a lot of leading. Uh, far away from spotlights and cameras and, and big meetings, uh, what have you learned about influence, uh, both in formal leadership and in places where maybe you have influence but maybe not position? Um, well, in, there's, in, there's always a negative and a positive influence yeah. around us. And it's for us to choose what we, which we wish to follow and as a child, I've had a very positive leadership uh, to learn from my father, who, who, who re remains to this day, he's been dead for many, many years, but who remains to be my role model, a person who did the right thing and brought me up to be guided by my conscience. And if I can pass that sentiment to others, mm. that advice or example that was given to us to me and that has served me well yeah. why not yeah. I, I do that and if there are negative influences I have a brain I can think I can choose mm -hmm. uh, the direction in which I wish to be influenced mm -hmm. um, and I'm happy that my conscience has guided me to the direction that has allowed me to lead uh, in my country and lead communities, to lead my hospital, to lead my university, to uh, um, and to contribute in the United Nations where I re held very responsible positions. So I think it's it's for the individual to choose mm -hmm. and to say, I will do the right thing because I believe that this is the right thing. Um, and. Um, that's, that's what I would say, and tenacity. Mm. Because very often what you believe is the right thing may not be what others <laughs> believe to be the right thing. So that tenacity and that determination, and very often people come around. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you an example. When I was made foreign minister, when I was made a government minister, uh, and I was the only woman in the cabinet, and 26 male ministers, uh, did not believe that I would attend cabinet meetings. And why not? Because you're a woman. If I'm entrusted to hold a position in the cabinet, then I need to be where cabinet decisions are being made for the people. Yeah. Um, and you need to prove to them that your presence is both learning and teaching yeah. and sharing and our collective opinions would then have an impact on, on the people that we are leading because of our positions. Yeah. So tenacity, continue to be an example, continue to be a role model, and prove to everybody that an educated woman is not such a bad thing after all. <laughs> Wonderful. Final. I love what I'm doing. Uh, that's, so. very, that's very apparent. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that's an important lesson for us as well, is uh, to, to love that. Uh, so just as we as we wrap up, 
uh, you've had this extraordinary life, extraordinary influence uh, on so many, in so many different ways, from the, the services that are provided through the hospital, uh, through your education uh, programs, and that, of course, ripples out into all the communities there in Somaliland. Uh, what is it that everybody should do every day? What's the one thing we all should be thinking about that maybe we're not thinking about that could make a difference? Well, I'll share a very bad disease that I suffer from. That disease is called, I need to fix that. <laughs> and we should wake up in the morning and say, what needs fixing today? And go and fix that, that you can fix, and that needs to be fixed. And that's what wakes me up and they say, oh, no, I've got this to do, and I've got that to fix, and oh, my God. And 25, 24 hours in the day are never enough. That's what drives me, and that's what yeah. we should all do. And uh, the opposite would be, I don't care. That's not my headache. That's somebody else's mess. Let them clear it up. Yeah. Uh, but it's our mess, yeah. and we should all clear it up. Doesn't matter who messed it up, that's but right. it's a mess, yeah. and it needs to be cleared up. That's right. We often we often talk about that as. Uh, and that wakes me up in the morning. Yeah. That a lot of people are going. shrugging their shoulders and saying, "Not my job. Not, my, not job. my problem." Uh, we always say we stand on the shoulders of giants, and the only reason we can stand on their shoulders is because they were willing to square them. There you are. Uh, there and, you are. There uh, are. Well, I've, I've had good examples from many, many, many giants. I've learned from, who've guided me, who've taught me. Uh, why go far? Boston yeah. University is not that yeah. far away. <laughs> uh, global Health. Um, London, I've had great teachers, great professors, great examples, great role models um, beyond my father. I, I've, I've been, I was married to somebody who was also a great leader, yeah. a late president, Mohammed Ibrahim Egal, my first husband. Um, I've, I've run across great leaders in my yeah. 84 years, <laughs> and, and I hope I've learned something from them. Uh, I hope I am teaching others. After me. Yeah. I think you have. I think you learned those lessons, and more importantly, you've lived those lessons, uh, and you're passing that on to generations yet to come. Uh, Edna, we appreciate you taking time today. Uh, you are a force for good in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great being here. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.